1 Corinthians chapter 15. Praise the name of the Lord. First Corinthians 15. I want to share with you a message today entitled Bad Company. Bad Company. A number of years ago, uh, you know, we started changing the meaning of the word bad. How many of you remember that, right? All of a sudden it rolled around and, and the young people were saying, oh, that's bad. And what they really meant was that's really good. Like it's better than good. It's bad. Uh, and this is not at all how I'm presenting this. I'm not talking today about good company, as in better than good, bad company, I'm talking about the way that the word bad is really meant and really intended, that it is not good for you. There is, it is puzzling how the Apostle Paul, at least it used to be to me somewhat, the more you read 1 Corinthians 15, you realize there is a flow all through this passage. It is one of the great passages that we deal with, especially when we get to Resurrection Sunday, when we deal with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I spoke a little bit about it from the early part of this chapter last week, but there is a verse of scripture that almost seems out of place, almost seems like Paul sort of lost his train of thought, threw it in there, kept it there, and then kept moving on about the resurrection, and yet that is not how it happened. But I think it's so important for us as Christians you might be a young person here today, and if you feel especially picked on, you can talk to God about that today. I'm not here to pick on anybody, but I am here to let you know that if you are feeling especially comfortable, then I'm here to hopefully prod you a little bit to not be quite so comfortable. If you are here today and you need comforting, then we want to do that as well. But the Bible lets us know this in verse 33. It says this. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Let's read that again. Chapter 15, verse 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Verse 34 says, come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. The Corinthian church, we need to give a little bit of background on this church just so that we can understand where Paul is coming from. They had all kinds of problems. They were and they sought after the great gifts of God. And God blessed them with those gifts. That's essentially, and they, they certainly, there was abuse of those gifts because otherwise we wouldn't have uh, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. There were abuse of those gifts. 
They were, for all intents and purposes, a carnal church. They gave in to their fleshly desires, or they allowed those in the body of believers who decided to do so to worship with them without any kind of repercussion. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is all about. There was a man living in gross sexual immorality, and they were, they were coming alongside him, and they, was, they were calling him brother. They were, they were just worshiping with him, and he was no big deal living in sexual immorality and just going about their business. Paul had to correct this particular circumstance. This church was a church who got into the habit of taking each other to court. You know, you, you have a dispute in the body of believers and all of a sudden now they're suing each other. Paul says you shouldn't be going before an unbelieving court to settle the differences within the body of Christ. Within the body of Christ, you should come together and it should be settled among you. Second of all, shame on you for taking each other to court. Now, we live in a very, we know in this country, we live in a very litigious society. We, we, people sue. I remember a number of years ago, somebody burned themselves on coffee from McDonald's, right? They sued McDonald's. And now you find that on the, the top of the, the, the lid that they give you, they have to put contents are hot. No kidding. It's coffee. Unless you throw ice in it, it's going to be hot. What kind of a big dummy? I don't know. But nonetheless, they had to do that. They got sued. Within the church, this was going on among brothers and sisters. Paul said, shame on you. They were a church that bought into the lie, and this is where we come to 1 Corinthians 15. They all of a sudden were buying into the lie that there was no resurrection of the dead. Remember, this is where Paul starts out. And he starts out proving, listen, Jesus appeared to a number of people, over 500 people at one time after he was raised from the dead. And yet there were those who were going around and they were beginning this teaching or they were teaching that there was no resurrection of the dead. And Paul spends the entire chapter defending and, and, and proving that there was a resurrection from the dead. And if Jesus is raised from the dead, then we certainly can look forward to this kind of a resurrection as well we will in fact be raised to life one day when we go by way of the grave and it's going to happen at some point when we go by way of the grave he says that's not the end but here's the problem with this church the problem was they were allowing this group to come in and they were opening their hearts and their minds to this teaching and this is where the bad company comes in. They allowed the bad company to affect them. Now, I want you to be very, I want, hopefully, I can, I can explain this the way that it's in my heart because the Lord has been just stirring my heart on this theme since I began looking into 1 Corinthians 15. It is so absolutely essential that we as Christians understand that we are called to be salt and light. We are called to have an impact on the world that we are living in, not the opposite. 
not the other way around. The world is not to have an impact upon your life. You are to impact the world that you are living in as a Christian. Jesus let us know. He he told the disciples in Matthew chapter 5, he let them know. He said, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. He said, nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel. In other words, you can't light a lamp and say, well, I got my light shining, but I'm not going to let anybody know about it. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, but, oh, no, I can't let anybody know that I am a Christian because they're going to think I'm a nut. Let them think you're a nut. Paul says, he told the Corinthian church, he says, at one point, he says, I'm beside myself at some point. He says, I'm going to be a fool for Christ. But the problem is, is we have allowed the bad company of the world to impact how we live and the kinds of decisions that we make for Jesus Christ. Now, there are three areas of this that I want to talk to you about today, and it is this. First, the deception. Second of all, the destruction And then finally, we're going to look at the direction, the deception. Now, if you're reading from a King James or a New King James or from from a, uh, uh, a New American Standard Version or maybe some other translation, I'm reading from the NIV. But today, if you're reading from any of those, you will find that the first words are, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. As opposed to don't be misled. It is so absolutely important for us to understand that the Corinthian church was deceived. They were deceived by this bad company that they had allowed into their lives and into their church. Whenever you allow somebody in and you don't have right doctrine and you are not believing the truth as the truth has been taught to you and has come to you as it did through the Apostle Paul and others as well who ministered to this church, if you don't hang on to that which is true, you will be deceived and fall for lies that are told either through our culture, from our culture, or from, the, from hell itself. The Bible says don't be deceived. The best way to keep from being deceived in anything having to do with your spiritual existence is to know the truth. Oftentimes you will find those uh, who will say they, they work at a bank and of course the government lately for some reason just keeps changing the money and you know how it looks and how it feels and yeah, I noticed every now and then that somebody in front of me will pay with a, a you know, a large bill, a $50 bill or a $100 bill, and, and they put this little marker on it. And I, I forget what it's supposed to do, but basically if something appears uh, as a result of that marker that they kind of scrape over the, or rub over the, the bill, something appears, they know it's phony. But those who work in a bank, they handle the real stuff all day long. They're counting it. They count it. They know it. It feels a certain way. But all of a sudden, you introduce something that doesn't feel quite right, and they stop. They know there's something wrong with this. Now, they might not be able to tell by looking at it, but they feel it, and they know it. And there are times in our lives where we are introduced to certain things and certain ideas from the world that sort of, we, you know, we buy into it. You know, for, for most of us, and I, I, 
I, I don't want to, I'm going to be very careful here because I could be stepping on toes and I could be offending people, but then again, well, <laughs> oh well. Um, we've got the Oprah generation. We, listen, Oprah has been an avenue of deception for so long. Yes, she'll mention the name God. She'll mention the name Jesus. She'll mention all of these things. But all of a sudden, somewhere along the way, she's, she is presenting a truth, a truth, I should say, in quotes, because it's not really a truth, but presenting something that is absolute opposite of what the Bible teaches. And we sit there, oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Can Oprah be wrong? Yes. Can man be wrong? Yes. Let God be true and every man be a liar. I'm here to let you know we got to go to the word of God so that we are not deceived. I'm sorry. I just I yelled too loud for him. I'm so sorry. Poor little guy. Oh, hopefully he'll never remember that. Although next week when Michael and Carolina are getting ready for church, they, he might have a little bit of trouble coming to Praise Tabernacle. I don't know. But I, listen, brothers and sisters, we got to be careful. I'm, I'm pleased. I'm not picking on Oprah. I'm really not. I'm, I'm, I'm here to let you know that through, through so much of what we see and take in from the media and the news and all of the, you know, the, the garbage that comes through the television, we, we are allowing stuff in that goes against the word of God. And because it's said by somebody who is respected and followed and, and all of those things, we begin to swallow it hook, line, and sinker. The Bible says here, don't be deceived. Don't be misled. Don't walk down an avenue that is a path to destruction, but instead stay on the narrow way. And the narrow way is staying in the book, finding out what the Bible has to say, going to the word of God, not the word of man. And listen, for those of you who sit there and say, well, I'm just going to listen to Fox News all day. Can you just shut it off for a minute? Because Fox News ain't going to help you to live right. What's going to help you to not be deceived in the world is getting your nose into this news. Oh, good Lord, help me. Don't be misled. Don't be deceived. The deception was real for the Corinthian church. They had bought into the lie. This is why Paul has to write the way that he has to write in 1 Corinthians 15. They believed the idea that there was no resurrection. Paul says this is the worst news ever. If you believe this, you've got to know that everything that you're doing as a Christian, he said, everything that I'm doing, he, in fact, let's read it. Jump back up to verse, well, let's go to verse 29. He says, now if there's no resurrection, what will those who are baptized uh, do who are baptized for the dead? Paul is not introducing a new doctrine here, by the way. It seems as though this particular church decided, well, we got to get baptized for the dead. He's saying at this point, not approving this. He's not saying this is something you should do. He is just simply saying that's ridiculous. Why would you do that if you don't believe in a resurrection? Then he goes on and he says, if the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? 
And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? Paul's talking about himself and those who traveled with him. He says, we're endangering ourselves every hour. We're doing it, but it's ridiculous that we would do it if there is no resurrection of the dead. I die every day. I mean that, brothers, just as surely as I glory over you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts, he's not talking about, this is metaphorically, he's talking about wild beasts. He's not talking about lions or tigers or any other kind of literal wild beasts. He's talking about those who oppose the gospel. He says, if I fought wild beasts uh, in Ephesus for merely human reasons, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, here it is, bottom line, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. He says, if the dead aren't raised, then what's the big deal here? Why am I wasting my time? Why are you doing crazy religious things that Paul doesn't say we should do, but why are you doing these things if the dead are not raised? You have, you have allowed yourselves to be deceived by those you have allowed into your life, not saying, let me help you to understand the truth, but instead you are now opening your heart to receive what it is that they're teaching. This is why we have to know the truth, brothers and sisters. We have to know the Word of God. We have to know what the Bible has to say. We have to know and read it and get it into our spirits so that when something comes our way that shouldn't be or it, should, it goes against the Word of God, we can defend it and we can fight it off with the truth of Scripture. Now, don't be deceived. But by whom? <laughs> well, I, I've already picked on some people in the media but let's talk about something a little bit closer to home. You know, maybe we shut our TV off. Maybe we realize that some of the nonsense that's coming across there is, in fact, that nonsense. And it's not the truth of the scripture. But maybe it is that there are influential people in your life. People that you know. People that you respect. And you know, it's an amazing thing how if we are not where we should be with God, we can allow some of their views to become our own. If we don't get in there with God and we don't get a hold of God and say, God, I want to know you and the power of your resurrection. I want to know your word. I want to seek you with all of my heart. How their views can become our views. Listen, we've got to go to the word of God. God has given us, the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, everything that we need for life and godliness. Did you get that? Not just godliness, but for life. He's given us everything that we need. This is why the word of God is absolutely essential. But here's how it was that they were deceived. It was by bad company. They allowed those individuals into the body not to evangelize them, not to minister to them, not to help them, but all of a sudden to become like them. This is the danger, teenagers, of walking into a high school without Jesus. Because if you don't walk into your high school, your junior high, whatever it is, if you don't walk in there serving Jesus with all of your heart and saying, I'm going to give my all to Jesus, I am here to say you will look just like your friends, you'll talk just like your friends, and you will act just like your friends. And in the end, you need to know that your friends are on a fast track to destruction. And for those of you who think that somehow you're above it and you're beyond it and you, it's not going to happen to you, think again. 
Those are often the last famous words of a teenager. I didn't think it could happen to me, and it happened to you. I don't know how many times as a young person I used to say, I'll never do that. I'll never do that. And all of a sudden I started hanging out with the wrong crowd, not so that I could preach to them, not so that I could share my faith with them, but so I could be like them and be accepted. And all of a sudden I got accepted, I was like them, and nowhere was my faith an impact on their lives. Listen, get a hold of Jesus because Jesus is the only one who is going to help you when you cross from this life into the next, and God forbid it should be sooner rather than later. You say, well, I'll repent later on when I get to be old, like my parents. Don't fall for that lie either. Because the bad company you're keeping might just be enough bad company so as to affect how you believe and what you believe. All of a sudden, God, you believe in God? What, are you crazy? You know, there's no God out there. Oh, yeah, there are teenagers who are adamant about the fact that there is no God. There are young people that you're hanging out with, and you know what? They're living like there is no tomorrow. They're living the way Paul said we probably should end up living if there is no resurrection of the dead. They are living like there's no resurrection of the dead. So, you know what? Pack as much into the moment as you possibly can. But Paul says there is a resurrection. Christ did rise from the dead. And as a result of that, don't be deceived by the bad company around you. But instead, stand for Jesus. Give your all for Jesus. Live for him with everything that is within you. And listen, you might you say, well, you know what? I'm a little nervous about sharing my faith. So was I. And you know what? In fact, when I get out from behind this pulpit, I'm as shy as they come. Almost scary kind of shy. You would never know it. I know that. But it's the truth. I understand what that means. I understand how that feels. I know what goes on on the inside because I was there. I've been there. I've been through it. And so have those who are around you. But I'm here to let you know that if you will obey God and if you will live for him, you can have an impact for the positive. You can have an impact for the kingdom of God and not be deceived by the bad company. But instead, the bad company can become good company if you will walk in, give your message, and walk out. You get in and get out. You don't hang out. You don't hang there. But instead, you let them know. I I heard uh, a pastor of of a large church in Dallas, Texas, by the name of Matt Chandler, tell about his his experience. He's a pastor of the Village Church in in Dallas, Texas. Uh, Young guy, much younger than I am. And he told about his, uh, his conversion to Christ and who was instrumental in bringing this guy, this young guy, to Jesus. And he said this, he said he shared there was a locker with uh, uh, one of a, his fellow athletes. I'm not sure what sport he was involved in, but there was a, a locker that was next to his. And this guy, he, he loved Jesus, his friend, he, he served Jesus. And his friend said to him this, he said, listen, man, I got to tell you about Jesus. When do you want to do it? <laughs> that was it. It was no, um, um, uh, do you think, you know, uh, we could, you know, talk um, maybe about, you know, God? Uh, He just simply said this, very matter-of-factly, he said, listen, I got to tell you about Jesus, so when do you want to do it? It wasn't if you want to do it, it was when do you want to do it? 
Listen, teenagers, that's all it takes. Those of you who go to a workplace and you're in that workplace and you're surrounded by people who don't know Jesus. Listen, all it takes is, look, I got to tell you about Jesus. When do you want to? What, what time? You know, it's not about if. It's not about, well, God, you know, we pray, Lord, let me have that opportunity. Lord, open up a door. Did he not open up a door when he put you there? Didn't he open up a door when he placed you in that, that environment? Wasn't the door flung open wide? Now we just have to pray for the wisdom to know what to say at the right time to say it. It doesn't take much. All it takes is, got to tell you about Jesus. When would you like to do that? Say, that sounds very much like a salesman. Call it what you want. We are called to be ambassadors for Christ. We have been called to a great commission. Jesus told his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. I can dare say this, that when you read Peter and his epistles, and then you read about John and his epistles and his gospel, you find two very different people with two very different ways of thinking, very different ways of putting things. Peter is not going to say it the same way as John says it. You're not going to say it the same way as I would say it. You won't say it the same way as your parents will, but I'm here to let you know if you will give your all to him, not be deceived by the bad company, then he can use you right where you're at. I need to move on. The deception. The destruction. Let's talk about the destruction a little bit. The destruction comes through what is called corruption. The Bible says this, bad company corrupts good morals, good character. Bad company corrupts. In other words, it leads to decay, to damage. Sometimes it doesn't happen overnight. And other times, you know, you just kind of jump headlong right into sin. Say, you know what? Ah, who cares? Let me go for it. Let me just do my own thing. Let me go after it. And this is where the bad company, if you hang with the bad company and you're not seeking to be an impact, but you are looking to be accepted. And I'm not, listen, this isn't just for teenagers, folks. This is for all of us. If we're looking to just be accepted rather than have an impact, then I'm here to let you know that over time it could be that your decision making for Christ will become corrupted. That instead you will seek to save your own skin in the eyes of these people who will not judge you in the end. Well, they might judge you in the moment, but they're not going to judge you in the end. There is a great judge who will judge in the end. And it's not going to be them. They will all stand before him. The Bible says, and it lets us know that they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Everyone will bow the knee and do that. We want to do it now. As Julian mentioned in worship, as I heard him just encouraging us to worship, he mentioned the fact that we don't want to be forced later on. We want to do it now when we have a choice. The destruction comes through corruption. All of a sudden, there is this constant dripping. Maybe you allow people who, well, you know what? I believe in God. Ever hear that line? Ooh, they believe in God. They must be, you know, they talk about God. They talk about, you know, faith 
And all of these things, they must be believers. Come on, let's hang out. And all of a sudden, you're opened up to the idea that they're not believers. They don't trust in Christ as Savior. But by this time, now, all of a sudden, the corruption has begun. There is this dripping that begins to happen. And over time, you ever see a drop of water, what it can do? Just, just drop a water every now and then. Just, you know, a bar of soap is pretty hard, right? We know soap is going to dissolve with, when water hits it. But you do it. It doesn't take very long for that soap, that bar of soap, all of a sudden just begin to dissolve in that one place. You do it on a rock. And over time, eventually, that rock is going to have the mark of that water dropping on it. And that's going to happen. That's going to take place. There's going to be an indentation that takes place there. Something is going to happen. Change is affected. And it comes as a result of this corruption that begins to take place in the heart of an individual who should be serving Christ with everything that is within them. Not only that. The destruction comes to something that is so intensely valuable. And it is this, good character. Good character. This idea of character indicates that of habit or custom. In other words, you're in the habit of doing what's right, of desiring to, to follow God and to follow, follow Christ. And, and the, the Corinthian church wanted, they wanted to serve God, but they were getting intensely messed up. They were getting really, really, really messed up in their thinking. And Paul says, your thinking is now being corrupted. Something is happening here that shouldn't be happening. The destruction is happening to your good character. And that's what happens. Bad company corrupts good character. All of a sudden now we're making decisions based on how we feel rather than based on what the Word of God says. Go with me now, if you would, to Proverbs 22. Proverbs 22. The Bible says this. Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25. Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25. The Bible says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. The idea here is that the good character that you possessed would be affected by the negative character or the bad character of another individual. And this is what often happens. I, I, so many people say, well, you know what? I really, I really want a mate. I want a partner in life. I want a, a, a husband or a wife. I want somebody who will come alongside of me. And Well, you know what? I, I know they're not Christians. I know they're not saved. But, you know, I, I can really, I, I, I'm going to believe that they're going to be saved. And all of a sudden, we throw ourselves into this relationship. I believe they're going to be saved. And now, all of a sudden, we find that rather than you having an impact upon their life, they're now having an impact upon your life. Now, all of a sudden, you don't go to church as often as you used to. You don't read your Bible as often as you used to. You don't pray as much as you used to. Now, you go places with them that you didn't go before, before you were, you were, you were caring about what God wanted you to do and how God wanted you to live. But now... 
Now all of a sudden something has changed. The story is told of the young woman who went to church with her fiancé. She sat in the meeting and she heard the pastor preach and she was so moved by the gospel of Jesus Christ and what it was that he said and what it was that he presented. She began to weep at the end of the meeting and an invitation was given for her to come to the altar to give her heart to Christ and she was so moved. She so badly wanted to go but she wanted to go with her fiance. She wanted him to come along and he sat there and he said, no, nah, you know what? I, I can't buy into this. I don't believe this. This isn't for me. I, I just, I can't do it. And she, she pleaded with him, please, you've got to come with me. You, please, I want us to serve Jesus Christ together. And I'm here to let you know, if you're in a relationship, there is only one way to do it. And it is with both of you going in the same spiritual direction. There's only one way to do it. But I, I, want, I want you to come with me, please. And she pleaded in tears, please come with me. And he said, no, I am not going to that altar with you. And she finally looked at him and said, listen, if you won't go to heaven with me, then you need to know that I will not go to hell with you. And brothers and sisters, I believe with all my heart that what God has called us to is he has called us to the kind of good character that will stand in the face of, of great emotional struggle and say, I'm going to make the right choice for Jesus. I'm going to live for him and him alone because in the end, he is the one who gives eternal life. Listen, what we have here is a few short 70, 80, maybe 90 years in this life and then it's a blip and it's gone. But brothers and sisters, you can have hope in him when your life here ebbs away. There is still a resurrection for those who have given their hearts to him and repented of their sins and said, I will live for Jesus Christ. That is the destruction. But I'm here to let you know God gives us a good direction. Let's take a look at the direction, verse 34. The Bible says this. It says, come back, come back, to your senses as you ought and stop sinning for there are some who are ignorant of God and he says I say this to your shame commentators aren't really 100% sure what Paul is indicating or, or who Paul is talking about when he says there are some who are ignorant of God he doesn't necessarily say there are some of you or he is not, he might be talking about that some as being the group they allowed, the bad company that they allowed in, but they're not really sure. He says, either way, it doesn't, and, and really in the end, it doesn't really matter which kind of group he's talking about. He says, there are those who are ignorant of God. He says, I say this to your shame because you are not having the impact that you should. And so what does God tell us to do? What do we need to do if we have allowed bad company? to affect our lives. Here's what the Bible says that we are to do. The Bible says, come back to your senses. In other words, let's take a look at what is right according to the scripture and let's live according to what the truth of God reveals. Remember last week we, 
We talked about the fact, or at least I briefly mentioned, that we believe that a Christian is somebody who believes in the physical, bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ and lives in the light of that fact. Paul says, come back to your senses. In other words, you're believing something that is nonsensical. You're believing something that is ridiculous. He says, come back to your senses. Let's come back to the truth of the word of God. Find out what God has to say. I'm presenting it to you right now as Paul is telling them about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead and what they can expect and how it's all going to happen and going to take place. He says, come back to the truth. And brothers and sisters, in the end, that's what we have to do. We have to say enough with the the lies, enough with the deception. Let me come and be in the presence of God. And when I'm in the presence of God, he will make it clear to me what it is that I need to do and how I need to live. Come back to your senses. I love those words, though, come back. Oh, Isn't that just like Jesus? Isn't that just like him? Come back. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't toss us aside. I love the fact that Paul, the fact that we have the letters to the Corinthians, both letters, indicates that God is intensely concerned with those who are just messing up royally. Those who just seem to get it wrong almost on every turn. And we have the message to come back. Listen. God is not looking to toss you aside because you have rejected something in the word. No, he is saying just come back to your senses. Let's get back to the truth. Let's come back to what it is that you know is right deep down on the inside. Come back to your senses. And then he says something else. He says, stop sinning. You say, well, that sounds easier than it really is. No, Remember that God has given us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. Godliness is that striving to be more like him, to be like him. But we can't do that in our own power. How are we going to do it? Well, we do it by the blood of Christ being shed on our lives and and cleansing us of our sins, coming to that place of faith and repentance in him. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives you the ability to just say no to sin. The Bible says, Paul wrote to Titus, he says, the grace of God teaches us to what? To say no to ungodliness. Paul says to the Corinthian church, stop sinning. Well, how were they sinning? Well, they were doing it, first of all, by listening to a deceptive message. And they weren't just listening to that message, but they also began to believe it and teach it themselves. The deceptive message was there's no resurrection of the dead. Paul says, if there isn't one, guess what? You're still in your sins. He says, go on out, do whatever you want to do because tomorrow you die. There's no hope. If that's what you believe, then this this is where this doctrine leads. It leads to an absolute hopelessness. Can't you see why the world has no hope? The atheist has no hope. Those who buy into the, the lie of 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 evolution we weren't created for any purpose there's no reason for your existence then why in the world would you spend your time doing what's right for God why it seems crazy so he says stop sinning 
They listened to this deceptive message. They taught that message, and then they lived according to it. And that's one of the dangers, the great dangers in our lives. But God's message to them was come back to your senses, stop sinning, and then the last message is simply this, know him. Know God. Listen to what the last part of that verse is. It says, there are some who are ignorant of God. Paul says, I say this to shame you, or I say this to your shame. There are some who are ignorant, but here's what he says, we want to know God. I'm here to, to shame you, and Paul used that tactic in an earlier part of, of Corinthians. He, he, he was trying to shame them into changing their ways, into changing how they lived. And Paul says, there are some who are ignorant of God, whether it is those who came in and taught this bad, bad, deceptive idea that there was no resurrection of the dead, or if there was some in that body of believers who they were ignorant of who God was. What kind of a plan he had for their life. What it was that he desired to do in them. The bad company came to the point where they allowed themselves to be ignorant of who God was. Brothers and sisters, I'm here to let you know we need to have the same kind of a desire that Paul had when he wrote to the Philippian church. And he said that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, in the fellowship of his sufferings. It says, being made conformable unto his death and even the death on the cross. Paul was saying, I want to know everything about God that I can possibly know. I want to know about Jesus. You say, I don't know if I can really do that. Is God really knowable? Absolutely. God has revealed himself through the scripture. He has revealed himself through this word. This is his love letter to you. This is what it is that God wants you to know. He, he has revealed enough of himself that you can serve him and you can have eternal life through him. So the message is, even though Paul states it a different way or a negative way, what he's really trying to get them to do is come around and to go after God, to know him with all of their heart, their soul, and their mind. I'm reminded of what David said, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs after you, O God. I want to go after you with everything that is within me. I want to know you in every possible way way. Know him. Brothers and sisters, we can know all kinds of things about the world. We can know all kinds of things about the economy and about politics and, you know, about, about medicine and all of these great fields of study and, and these great careers that we can have. But I'm here to let you know today that we've got to know him, that without him, all of these things what, are they, what value are they going to have on the day where you go from this life to the next? Because the Bible is clear. There is a resurrection of the dead. Paul says you have the, to the Corinthian church, you have bought into this lie that says there isn't. That bad company was allowed in. They've corrupted you. But there's still hope. There's still hope if that corruption has kind of gotten into our lives. I'm here to let you know the message is there's a way out. God has something good in store for you. He doesn't want you to stay where you are. He's not going to cast you aside and say, well, you know what? You, you blew it. You made a mistake. Forget it. I don't like you anymore. You're just, you know, I'm just going to zap you right where you're at. I'm done with you. He doesn't do that to us. But instead, he gives us hope. 
And he says, there is a way of escape. There's a way out. You can come out of this life that you're in. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a 1 Corinthians. We wouldn't have a, a letter to them. If there was no hope for them, God wouldn't have wasted his time and Paul's time. It wouldn't have happened. But I'm here to let you know that what God desired for them was that they would begin to grab hold of the great truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and not allow the bad company of the world to have an impact on them, but instead for them to have an impact on the world that they lived in. And brothers and sisters, that's what it's all about for us. Those were the last words of Jesus to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, that they were to go into all the world and preach the gospel. They were to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. They were the ones who were to go out and have an impact on the world. And let me tell you something. By the time the middle of the book of Acts rolls around, people are talking about them like these are the men who turned the world upside down. Imagine that. Actually, they turned the world right side up. In the end, that's exactly what they did. They had an impact on the world. Can we bow our heads for a moment?